On the Empire Podcast this week, we take flight with Denzel Washington and Robert Zemeckis. We give it 20 minutes with Dan Mazur and Rafe Spall on I Give It a Year. We talk Bill Murray and Hyde Park on Hudson, and we discuss the Muppets again and more. Uh, hello all, I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the 46th Empire Podcast, the only movie podcast to have landed a plane upside down and backwards while stone cold sober. You may have noticed that I'm not Chris Hewitt and that's because I've engineered a hostile takeover of the show and have horribly killed him. <laughs> Alright, fine, he's away on a trip and we'll be back next week. But in the meantime, this is still mine, all mine. <laughs> I need to work on my evil laugh. I am thrilled and relieved today to be able to welcome three colleagues to share the awesome burden of this podcast. Uh, first up is a man to whom awesome burdens are nothing, carrying as he does the weight of the magazine on his shoulders like a modern day atlas. It's Ian Freer. Hey, how you doing, Hal? I'm very well, thank you. I'm good. I'm still reeling from the news that J.J. Abrams is going to be directing Star Wars Episode 7. Are, are you happy? I'm very happy, yeah. Um, when I interviewed J.J. for Super 8, I gave him my Super 8 copy of Star Wars. Oh. And, which he was very excited and relieved um, and grateful to receive. And uh, he was telling me that the one bigger fan of Star Wars than him uh-huh. is his composer, Michael Giacchino. Ah. So I think Williams is out the door <laughs> and, you know, Giacchino is, is, is doing the score. So I, I would imagine. Wow. Well, well, it's, it's hard to object to that because he's genius. amazing. He's an amazing composer. Yeah, go go yeah. listen to the score from Up if you don't believe us. Um, we also have with us today uh, Phil DeSemlin, who isn't going to get any jokes this week about his art house proclivities, uh, just for a change, uh, because I'd much rather discuss the fact that uh, your beard, Phil, has been this week the subject of much admiration. You're looking very hirsute. I was? I don't know. Hirsute. To, pa- to paint a picture, if, you really? see, if you've seen Tom Hanks in Castaway, it's a bit... It's a bit <laughs> I look like uh, the volleyball. <laughs> Phil, is your beard a tribute to Klaus Kinski? Is there some kind of reference that your face is making? <laughs> So we are back to the art house. <laughs> I, had to, I had to put one in. Or a brief, brief diversion into beer territory. Yeah. We're back to Klaus Kinski. I'm sorry. All roads lead to Klaus Kinski. <laughs> Incidentally, I had no idea he was in Dr. Zhivago, which I saw the other day. Yeah. I know young Klaus Kinski. Um, there we go. There you go. We've learned something. I should note that Phil's nickname is Beardy and he loves it. So if you see him on the street, yell Beardy at him. <laughs> this may or may not be true. Uh, last but not least, you just heard him. It's Nick DeSemblin. Yeah, it's your birthday tomorrow. Oh, whose birthday is tomorrow? Yay. Yay, That's why I've got this ca- carrying this cake around with me. And, and Nick, Chris still calls you neighbour, despite the fact that you moved like 10 miles to avoid being near him. Yeah. We are technically desk neighbours still. I suppose. And it's a bit, our relationship is a bit like the relationship between John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd in the terrible comedy Neighbours. <laughs> where Belushi actually plays the kind of uptight, straight-laced guy. Matt Croyd's the crazy guy. Ah, I see. So neither of you is Helen from Neighbours. In this uh, that's you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your name Desk Neighbours, but there is, is there not a mountain range between your two There's desks? a picket fence that I'm currently <laughs> working on building. Yeah. Well, good fences make good neighbours. So as ever, we will take your questions and comments first. Um, first of all, from Twitter, at Chris Russ asks... Have you ever wanted to try anything from a film? I want to try Bond's drink, The Vesper, from Casino Royale. I mean, that's at least doable, Chris. You know, dream big. Go out there and (laughs) and get one. I I don't know. I think films do influence things I do. Mm. I absolutely say... uh, I use the same hand gesture that Richard Dreyfuss used to say that his glass is full in Jaws. And it's the same. It's a little... I'll do this and you can explain it. Oh, it's that... Right, it's a strange little, strange little okay. two-fingered gesture. Two fingers yeah, horizontally. And I've absolutely yeah. nicked that from Jaws. 
if I approach a pub and it's dingy, I will say it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. I do. So there are definitely things that I've taken from movies. This is a bit. This is a bit weird. Back in the day when I used to smoke, mm-hmm. there's a thing that John Travolta does at the beginning of Broken Arrow. Just the way he takes a cigarette out of his mouth, he kind of takes it out and then puts it back in, flips his hand around. I used to do that. I don't know why. I thought it was really cool. It wasn't cool. Oh god, smoking not cool, kids. If you're listening, I've tried a Vespa Martini, um, made by. Eric Lovins, I believe you pronounce his name, who's mm-hmm. the head mixologist at the Savoy and cocktail consultant on Skyfall. And he made me a Vespa Martini. How was it? It was... I didn't really... <laughs> 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 it, was, it was too strong. Oh, no. No, it wasn't. It was just... I'm not a big fan of the, the, the gin, vodka, vermouth combo, but it's a very refreshing drink. But what I discovered from him was that he technically you're supposed to make it stirred not shaken mm. because it bruises the gin bless it <laughs> so but Bond likes his shaken not stirred because it dilutes the drink apparently it makes the ice melt faster which means he can put away more and still be able to like stand and fight you know and yes, he drinks it to numb the, the, the feelings of all the women he's loved and have died doesn't he that's, that's he why he drinks about. Heineken as well yeah he yeah. kills most of them I mean honestly he's just trying to kill the taste of the Heineken <laughs> Um, I've my dream is to use a snake as a weapon, as Chance Bordreau, played by John Claude Van Damme, does in the film Hard Target. You got to punch the rattlesnake in the face. You first, first have to right? punch it, and then and then you kind of uh, create a booby trap out of it. But okay. that's my dream. One day I will. Well, you, I think you're dreaming bigger than than Chris with his cocktail. And hell for you. Uh, for me, I, you've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Yeah. Well, that's pretty much what I'd like to try in a film. All of it. <laughs> Just all of it. Malfunctioning. Well, no, I was empire. thinking, you know, the, the first room with the chocolate river and the candy grass and I want to uh, just yeah. live in my pyjamas like the granddad in uh, <laughs> Ooh, my dream. I, I tell you what I would actually love to just to own from a movie, and that is the luggage from the Darjeeling Limited. That stuff is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah that's true. Custom Mark Jacobs and Louis Vuitton, I think. I'm not that fancy, but I would become fancy if I had that luggage. Very good. Very amazing. Thank you for that, Chris. Uh, next one, at Baron Von Hector asks what film do you feel had a score that was miles better than it deserved I'd go with Raise the Titanic I just watched The Black Hole for the first time amazing John Barry score uh-huh. the film does not live up to that score <laughs> but it, it's that, that, I would say that straight away yeah, so Ra- like, Raise the Titanic is John Barry's score so he's perhaps a, he's a master at outshining the films that he can play. he needs to know when he can just coast I think films are really good indexes of how good scores are really good indexes of how good or bad a film is mm. and to me I, I look at something like Hook which is probably John Williams best score Wow. Do you think so? One of his best, absolutely one of his best scores. So many themes. It was conceived as a musical. So he'd been writing these themes for years and it has at least 20 memorable themes in it. And um, I think that outstrips the film. I think it's a better score than it is a film. And there's, there's a, a movie... Uh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton director called All the Pretty Horses mm-hmm. which kind of uh, with Matt Damon I think yeah. that. and uh, it kind of um, it kind of got absolutely ignored by everybody but it's a lovely kind of Mexican western-y score by three composers Larry Paxton Marty Stewart and Kristen Wilkinson it's a gorgeous score it's a shame that nobody ever saw it because the film was kind of um, poor mm. Mm. Um, I would add The Mission which is oh. probably a little controversial because it's not in any way a 
bad film. I'm getting the evils here. <laughs> it's not a bad film, but it, the, the score yeah, is pretty transcendent, is and, and, and it, it is certainly an awful lot better than the movie it accompanies. Um, Tron Legacy, mm. I love. The also Daft a Punk great score, yeah, great, great score. Um, bit of a ho hum. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney sci-fi flick. Um, the Twilight movies all had really good scores, mm-hmm. and you know, not everyone's a big fan of the Twilight movies, as we know. <laughs> um, yeah, so some, somewhat of an understatement there. And going, think, yeah, and going back to Ackroyd, Blues Brothers 2000. If you're talking about songs, yeah, amazing film. High Blue Can You Get is a terrific, terrific finale to that film. Yeah, so that's best seen with your eyes closed. That yeah, <laughs> so many films are. I would add, add to the John Williams pile, Jewel of the Fates. Is the other yeah, one that obviously that, springs yeah, to mind. Yeah, that score is a, that's but, a great you know, score. The whole as well. of the Phantom Menace score, but in particular that piece of music, yeah. it just outstrips everything. Best thing to come out of the prequels, full stop. Yeah, I'd agree. All right. Uh, at Rob G. Ash asks, what was the last movie sequence that left your adrenaline in overdrive? From my two cents, it was Big Daddy Kills, which I'm pretty sure is the one from uh, Kick Ass. So what did we think? It's the whole of the raid, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it the, the whole of it? Uh, Pretty much. That's actually. terrific. There was stuff in Hannah that I thought was great. You know, did Joe write Hannah? Which bits? Was it the Eric Banner fight in the underground? Or? That's great, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, in, in a different way, I find a lot of Anna Karenina absolutely exhilarating. Mm. There's, a, there's a dance scene in Accelerator that kind of turns into this kind of magical thing. It's not action, but it's absolutely exhilarating. Right, right, it's good at that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm going to say the washing up song from The Hobbit. <laughs> it wasn't an action scene, but I, I kind of watched that. I went, this is amazing. I couldn't, yeah. But uh, I was disappointed by the action in that film, definitely. There was nothing in it that, that was yeah. as well executed as stuff from the. If you think about how you felt during the Minds of Moria in, in the film. Yeah, or just little beats like Gandalf riding out from Minas Terror, just mm-hmm. stuff like that. You just go, wow, incredible. Yeah. There, was, there was nothing quite like that. But the raid was probably for the entire duration of that film. It was high fiving and it was yeah, embarrassing. You pretty much had your jaw on the floor for the for the whole run of that film. Mm. Um, and for all time of all time, I'd say the scene that puts my adrenaline into overdrive is it's either Mad Max, Mad Max Two, Road Warrior, because mm. I don't drive and it makes me want to drive, and uh, uh, the helicopter scene in Apocalypse Now, which is just astonishing. Mm. It's twenty five minutes yeah. of absolutely oh, turn the most pa- the pacifist biggest pacifist into a warmonger that scene it's amazing for me the two scenes that get me every single time the, the bit in Raiders the truck it's that whole bit from mm-hmm. when he rides the horse down and the, the music kicks in that yeah I'm changing watch, my answer to I that I can watch that endlessly <laughs> and also Terminator 2 that there is a 20 minute stretch when they're the, like halfway through the Cyberdyne sequence to when they get to the steel mill that is unbelievably amazing yeah Genius. the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan everyone talks about I think the ending the end sequence is pretty pretty terrifying and awesome as well more recently and we're going to talk about it later the opening 20 minutes of flight is a ride in every sense it is and, it's terrific yeah. and uh, a film that I've saw recently for the first time actually uh, we talked about Chris Marker I think last year in his obituary that you you gave which was very moving um, did a making of Ran yeah there's yeah. an opening there's a, there's a scene in the middle of that film where the, the warring families attack um, this citadel uh, it's 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 almost kind of silent. Yeah, that's my new favourite one now. Forget Nick, forget <laughs> Nick's Raiders one. That's my that's quite. It's astonishing. I have never seen. I saw it on Blu-ray. If you haven't seen Ran, it's Kira Kurosawa's take on King Lear. Yeah. Um, it's astonishing. Is there a scene where a Nazi gets thrown through a windscreen? There are no hedgehogs, CG hedgehogs. My very little washing up. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Nazis in it. Oh. Anyway. It's pre-Nazi. 
um, pre-CGI as well. I think the scale of the thing is astonishing. Yeah. That, that can help, actually, because sometimes nowadays, I think I think the, the Hobbit maybe suffered from this. We're a little bit inured to mere spectacle. It needs mm. to be, you know, absolutely whopping spectacle. Yeah, or it's the raid. It's people doing stuff. People doing people stuff, actually absolutely. Doing it. Yeah. yeah, the physicality of it. I think everyone gets blown away. I mean, the CG you become a little inured to. Mm. But if you go back and I've been watching Chivago or, you know, Lawrence, for any of those David Lean films, or even a film like Waterloo, which isn't brilliant, but you see there's 25,000 extras. Sure. You never see that anymore. That always takes the breath away. Still, I just need Hulk to do it for me, at the risk of being incredibly predictable. But I agree with pretty much all the examples you guys have given as well. Um, okay, let's have a couple more. Um, at Anton Yellis asks, what five-star movies could have been as good with a different director? I'm keen on seeing Scorsese's Fight Club. So am I. That sounds great. Yeah, that's an intriguing prospect, isn't it? With De Niro. Yes. And who else? Who would who would play the two? Harvey Keitel and De Niro. <laughs> yes. And Pesci as the Helena Bonham he Carter. Be, well, Pesci would be Bob, wouldn't he? I was reading an interview with Harrison Ford, a Playboy interview with him from about ten years ago, and he was saying that he was approached by Scorsese to play the the uh, Max Cady part in Cape Fear with De Niro as uh, the Nick Nolte part. Which Ooh. It's got nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I, it made me go. Hmm. That's a bit fascinating, yeah, isn't Harrison it? Harrison Ford with tats. Uh, I'm going to upset. Ian at this point <gasps> yeah alright posit this Lincoln with exactly the same cast Daniel Day-Lewis playing Lincoln everything's the same but a different director that's the worst would, thing I've ever heard <laughs> terrible but idea. would that Hate not it. still be a great film with that script and that cast no it might be potentially it might be yeah because it's a, film, it's a great film I'm not, I'm not and I love Spielberg obviously yeah. but is it, is it a director's film that yeah, it is. I mean, it's not a flashy director's film, is it? But it's a, it's very careful about where he puts his camera. He's very careful about his his editing and his sound and all the things. He's, it's just not very showy. No, it's and got great it, lighting. It, it does. It looks beautiful. Mm. Um, it's a very sort of judicious use of music. But you know, I do, do you want to see Paul Thomas Anderson's Lincoln? I don't know. Brett Ratner's Lincoln. <laughs> Steady. <laughs> anyway, yeah, oh, you've convinced me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah because it's all of those things. It's very understated, yeah. and it's a worry that you need a director to put a clear sort of auteur stamp on a film, yeah, with like ticks and traits and stuff to make it valid. Because I love the fact that it was very, you know, the musical cues, especially the John Williams, is quite sure. underplayed. Yeah, but I, I think having Scorsese direct your film makes ninety nine point nine percent of the films better. Whatever your yeah. film is, having Scorsese do it. Yeah. You know, such yeah. good taste and energy and mm. yeah. What about Billy Wilder's Four Weddings and a Funeral? Ooh. I would watch that. That would be quite good, wouldn't it? That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh that's all I've got, so I'm gonna just shut <laughs> up now. <laughs> I don't know. What about if they were gonna remake the Grand Illusion, which I'm actually obliged contractually to mention in every place. Yes, yes. Um who would direct that? That's a very good question. Michael Hanukkah. <laughs> Michael Hanukkah. He needs to up his game and try something a, bigger, a right? Bit so, white ribbony, you know. I like it. Yeah. I'd like, to, I'd like to see Tim Burton Seven. I always want to see Tim Burton do something that's dark but not kooky. Do okay. something, yeah, because he's got such a great visual eye. But yeah. it's, it kind of feels like he's doing the same thing over and over again. But mm. I'd like to see him do a different type of script. I'd like to see Wes Anderson's When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. David cool. Finch's Dark Shadows. Anybody's Dark Shadows, frankly. Nobody's Dark Shadows. Nobody's Dark Shadows. <laughs> um, okay, we have a couple of questions here about reviewing. And given that we have um, 
uh, quite a lot of review editors in the room. I thought this would be a good one. Uh, at Ian T. James asks, has the team decided who's reviewing uh, the 2013's biggest films? And if not, how do you decide? And on Facebook, Peter Wood asks, that's a recommendation. Do you feel that the five star rating system can get in the way of an honest score? The gaps between three and four stars seem much more decisive than any other. Okay, uh, in terms of who's reviewing which 2013 films, uh, I have planned in my head. Okay. I have thoughts in my head. Sometimes practicalities get in the way of that. I, it screens a junket and it never screens sure. anyone swearing, and so the person who saw it uh, will have to do it. But yeah, I do. I do have a plan, and that is down. I mean, uh, who? How do you decide? I decide based on sensibilities and and what I think. Who's going to do the best? the best job with it um, I'd say I do have a plan it doesn't always work out mm. we also have a dolphin in the office that selects ping pong balls with people's names right? yes the re- <laughs> the, yes the review dolphin buster the review dolphin <laughs> yes. yes that's right and that's why I got to review Sammy's Great Escape this weekend yes, yes. The, that the, had your name all over <laughs> it <laughs> on the subject of the star ratings and stuff which is obviously fuel for fire um, yes I find the, the two to star to three star thing more tricky than the three star to four star. I think you know when you've seen something that you'd really go out there and go, this is great, you've got to see this. Whereas mm. a three star is maybe like, nah, there's good stuff in it, but you wouldn't. But there, there are films like, I remember I went to see Journey to the Mysterious Island, and on no level is that a great film particularly. No. On no level. But, but, I, came out, really but I came out of it feeling like I'd had a fun time. Yeah. So that's kind of tricky. You're kind of going, hmm. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I had a good time. I think the, the problem with the, the star system, and we know this, and, and you guys know this as well, is that it is a massive blunt instrument. Um, you know, some of our reviewers openly hate the star system and campaign regularly to get rid of it. Yeah, some of our reviewers uh, write their review and let me decide the review either from the, the, star from rating, the, from the, yeah. from the tone of their review. Um, we in the office talk about low free stars and high free stars yep. and there can be a, a gulf of difference between those it could scrape a three or it can be just nudging the edge of a four and there's a world of difference between those things so I mean a blunt instrument doesn't come close to it absolutely yeah. Yeah. so basically you know read the review and yeah. hopefully the review will give you a good a good you know impression of how we actually feel and the the, the star rating is you know at best a, a, a blunt instrument yeah yep. yeah if you're in a big hurry, you've only got three seconds to look at a review <laughs> that Starring can help. But otherwise, read the read the words. All right. First. And that's quite enough of that. Now, if you want to send us your questions or comments, uh, you can use Twitter. We are at Empire Magazine and the hashtag is Empire Podcast. Uh, you can get hold of us on Facebook, where we are also Empire Magazine. Terribly unoriginal, I know. And email, which is podcast at empiremagazine.com. We also welcome questions sent via marching band, mariachi band and string quartet, but never skiffle band. That's just weird. Oh, I hate skiffle. <laughs> so Mark Commode hasn't got a chance of getting I'm sorry, no, no, none at all. Next up, we have an interview with the star and the director of I Give It a Year, which is a new Brit comedy that's half rom-com and half when it all goes wrong-com. <laughs> it's the story of a couple who fall in love and get married and then start to wonder if they can really live happily ever after after all. Now, the writer-director is Dan Mazer, who previously wrote Borat and Bruno and who makes his directorial debut here. And with him is Rafe Spall, lately of Prometheus and the Oscar-nominated Life of Pi, who's now proving his comedy chops. They came into the, the pod booth a little bit earlier in the week, and here's what they had to say. 
We're delighted to be joined in the pub booth by Rafe Spall and Dan Mazur, the star and writer-director, respectively, of I Give It A Year. Welcome, guys. Uh, uh, very nice to be here. Thank you for having us. Are you uh, uh, well, all... to be here. <laughs> <laughs> are you all questioned out? This is it. Um, we've made it. Are, are, qu- are, are you all questioned out? Because you've been no, on the know, junket now for a while. No, I'm very happy to talk about myself ad nauseum. <laughs> nothing I prefer. Right. It's a bit like um, uh, if you sit in a room for two days and speak about yourself in front of people. It's a bit like when you... You will never want to do it again. It's a bit like if you're in films when people's dads catch them smoking and then they make them smoke a packet of cigarettes. Oh, so it's like that. I'll <laughs> yeah. never want to talk about myself again. So we can't ask uh, anything on a diner that you've been asked before. So Dan, I'm going to ask about your jumpers because this, <laughs> this is the third time I've interviewed you know, oh, for okay. this, this film and each time you've been wearing a very fetching and different jumper. Today oh, you were in a green you. number with white stars. Right, sorry, is this a thing? Do you have a, a collection? I've got, yeah, knitwear's sort of my thing. Um, I like to think it's uh, a wardrobe in place of a personality. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially I can't uh, distinguish myself with what I say or do so I just wear strange clothes and so I got annoyed with a girl last night because I was wearing a red suit last night she goes uh, she goes oh were you wearing that so you got something to talk about and I went oh no I'm the director of the film I think I've probably got enough this is my party yeah, exactly it's alright now fuck off was she a generally quite <laughs> offensive girl you, yeah she was being I think I might have had a few minutes with her myself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always get one of them kind of truculent yeah, yeah. indeed yeah. and right but, for the interest of fairness I should point out you're also wearing a very lovely jumper today I'm wearing a jumper but, that my wife got me for Christmas I this would not look out of place on no, Maze's back, I'm, would it? I'm eyeing no. it jealously. Yeah, it's a tasty uh, bit of knit. No, I've got nothing. You're letting the side down. I'm wearing a jumper several sizes too small for me because <laughs> it's the first thing I grabbed this morning. But um, <laughs> we should talk about the film at some point, I feel, yeah, right. just to put in context for people who don't know what it is. Um, would you say it's a not an anti-romantic comedy, but it's certainly a romantic comedy that sets out to deconstruct the tropes of the genre? Yeah, and I think that's exactly. It. I think I, I set out kind of you know I, I think I've been burnt many times uh, going along to the cinema to see kind of so-called uh, romantic comedies that are, you know sort of ultimately about a kind of a gruff Irish pub owner who ends up with a ditzy San Diego PR girl, and they've got two weeks to find an engagement ring that's been swallowed by a dog in Venice um, which, isn't a terrible, which isn't it's terrible which isn't a terrible it? idea yeah. you know so I could I think I could pass that off as the next one and, yeah, uh, yeah. so in Venice yes, that, in yeah, okay, Venice yeah. you say I can't, dog. Do, I can't yeah. do an Irish we'll get accent. the dog from the artist he's good yeah not bad he's good. Um, or the one from Britain's Got Talent Pudsey but uh, so Rafe how did you get involved in this one then just, just old fashioned got sent the script audition for it and um, <laughs> here, here I am now really uh, I um, we Dan and I had met before um, something else that Dan, Dan had written an uh, ill-fated project it's <laughs> <laughs> funny um, and uh, we got along and then I was asked to audition and you know I think they were throwing the net out there and seeing some people I came in and we fell in love <laughs> and here we are now but you know it was it was a process of convincing certain powers that I, I um, was funny handsome charismatic <laughs> and talented enough to I be mean, the not lead me, part I say, the, the, <laughs> the minute the, you know the minute that um, Rafe walked in the room I just thought absolutely he is completely my Josh and I was you know mm. I sort of didn't want to see anybody else I just thought he had the natural wit spark charm um, uh, good looks of somebody who was supposed to be sort of a character broadly based on me on you exactly. have you had a word with your agent about the fact that you've been cast twice now in very dysfunctional unhappy relationships on screen it's weird isn't it in one day that was not 
that pleasant. That wasn't nice. No. no. But, you know, I, in one film, Anne Hathaway doesn't want me. In another film, Rose Byrne doesn't want me. <laughs> so, but um, uh, Anna Faris does, so I'll take yeah. that. And, of course, you don't want Rose Byrne, so the feeling I, I is... Sort of, I sort of do. <laughs> <laughs> well, on one level, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, what a shame. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about what it's like to direct Stephen Merchant. He's incredibly professional and sort of... Uh, makes himself laugh quite a lot which yeah, is, he does. Which he is, does. Which is does. funny and is very apologetic yeah. about making himself laugh yeah. uh, it's like a great taboo of, in comedy is to, is to yeah. make yourself laugh yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it and he constantly tells himself off yeah, yeah, and I don't yeah. mind I, I'm really happy because you know, I feel if he's amusing himself um, he'll amuse us as well because he's probably got a higher threshold than, than most of us indeed um, but he, you know, he's brilliant. He's amazing, and actually, he's the one person um, that I, when I was writing, that I wrote specifically the part for, because I always wanted him to play Danny, the mm. best man, because he's, you know, he has that amazing skill to be kind of awkward and put his foot in it, and you sort of believe it coming mm. from 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 Steve. But also, you can see he, he's got that thing where he can say the most terrible thing, but he's got that sort of puppyish Labradorian feel to him which you forgive yeah. you know what I mean he, and it's a rare um, quality I think yeah but he, no it was brilliant to have him on set and actually it was brilliant to have everybody on set the, the kind of my my philosophy in casting was that I wanted everyone to be funny in their own right uh, and for you know to allow them to be funny and then for me to take the credit for their funniness <laughs> ultimately um, and uh, mm. and you know and everybody was so it was, it was you know the whole thing was delightful yeah and I think that these sorts of films live and die on how you cast the smaller parts as mm. well and we've got some fantastic um, British comedy stars populating those smaller parts people like Tim Key who's mm. a genius mm. you know and just makes that seem brilliant mm -hmm. Olivia Coleman, who's not just one of our best comedy actresses is one of our great actresses so yeah. we, were, we were blessed weren't we yeah we were and Rafe I just wanted to go back to the uh, the idea of auditioning for this and having to convince the powers that be yeah. that you were the guy for the job yeah. because you had to do something similar on Prometheus didn't you with um, with Ridley that was a, and, and again on Prometheus Ridley was always in my in my corner and always wanted me to be in the film I, I actually um, auditioned and screen test for a bigger part in that and um I was and and that didn't work out, but he always wanted me to to, to be in the film. You know, I, I'm I'm happy to do it because and because people are very precious over films; they cost a lot of money, and I understand that. I understand why people want to get it right. And the most important thing about a film is the cast and the actors. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, uh, I get why people are precious, and I and I get why they wanted to put me through my paces and to see what I had. You know. Absolutely. Um, what was that Prometheus uh, experience like after the fact when the movie came out? Because it did get it divided people. Yeah, no. I mean, pe pe it divided people. I mean, it's just great that people have an opinion in it. I mean, mm. that film was so hotly anticipated, mm. but gosh, it took a lot of money, didn't it? <laughs> it, did all right. it did all right. And that's all that they really care about. Yeah. Um, no, I think the world's a better place for Ridley Scott making films. Simple as that. But for Prometheus 2, you won't be back. No, I was deep-throated to death <laughs> by a snake. Is that what it said in the script? <laughs> yeah, deep-throated to death. Yeah, Ambition achieved. <laughs> That's one off the bucket list. Um, no, I, I, I only knew me and Bassbender are still yeah. alive, aren't they? That's pretty much it, yeah. yeah. But you never know. You never know in science fiction. Um, and Dan, was this something that you, you, you've been writing for a long time mm -hmm. with Sasha Baron Cohen? Mm -hmm. um, how long was this on the, on the back burner, the idea of directing I mean I, 
It was always about finding the right thing, really. Um, and obviously this is much more personal than the previous films because I'm neither a Kazakhstani journalist or a, <laughs> a gay Austrian fashion reporter. Um, and I thought, you know, I could do justice to this as well as anybody else could you know it was my words and I wanted to see them kind of you know conveyed honestly and truthfully and you know frankly well so um, uh, I thought I might as well might as well give it a go I'm curious about this film it struck me as, as, as I was watching the credits and there were a couple you know it's one of those movies that at the end the credits still has funny stuff in it yeah how much <laughs> is on the cutting room floor Oh, there's vast amounts on the cutting room floor. Loads. I mean, I, uh, the first assembly of this film uh, was three hours long, so we've cut out half of the movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so yeah, it's like Django Unchained, cut in half. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've got, I've, I can give it another year if you, yeah. if you really want me to. <laughs> frankly, you know, and obviously, it's you know, it's on merit and that stuff. By the nature that's not in the film, it's not as good stuff that's in the film. But it's you know, it's, it's lots of really you know, it's lots of really really fun stuff. All my stuff. best stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All my best stuff. Um, yeah, there's a whole subplot with uh, mm. an Iranian submarine. Yeah, uh, and Fluella Benjamin. Fluella <laughs> Benjamin, an Iranian submarine. She was at the premiere yeah. last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was. You didn't. And you not told her she'd been cut. And she was there. And she, she was furious. And you don't want to cross Fluella. No way. Oh, yeah. She rule, rule is for life. Absolutely. Yeah. Flobo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to the deleted scenes immediately just the phrase Iranian submarine the well Benjamin exactly together at last you yeah, finally yeah. that is exactly. literally the tip of the iceberg <laughs> um, no I, it, it, it must be difficult it must be a difficult thing to cut scenes that you really love and yeah definitely and you know kind of and, and a lot of the scenes that are in there have been kind of you know cut in half the solicitor scene with Tim Key I could have watched for 15 minutes and that was longer was, wasn't uh, it yeah exactly it was a lot longer and you know we had to cut that down because he, he he's so good Tim Key he's amazing oh my yeah. god he's so clever he I should mean, have his own film he, he must have a series soon he'll get his own the, show he's doing the Alan Partridge film oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I read that it's funny <laughs> oh you read the script yeah. Oh, okay. Hello, and then we're moving in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Uh, Rafe, we, we have a thing where um, when people come in, yeah. we like to read them out facts or trivia about them on the IMDb. Okay. And see whether it's true or not. All right. All right. So I've got a, couple of, a sheet printed out here. So mm-hmm. Rafe's Paul, according to the IMDb, you executive produced Civility, the first album from the band Arcane. What? True or not true? What? true <laughs> oh yeah you're all about to <laughs> lucky arcane that, yeah, that, like, that really pushed them over the edge <laughs> yeah it did they were going so well yeah. they were going so well until I got involved no I shut up <laughs> I um, yeah I, I had I had a hand in a bit of music in the old days, yeah. Gosh, cut my teeth spinning, in it. Spinning the ones and twos. Yeah, cut my teeth in the music industry, <laughs> and um, here I am now. Yeah. That is true. So <laughs> deal with it. So, um, <laughs> how did that happen? Was that- uh, no, I had some friends of mine who um, uh, were in a. There's <laughs> friends of mine who were in a band, uh, and I was like 19. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can imagine just the meeting. Yeah, yeah, no, so you know, we'll do this. So we'll sort it out and uh, yeah you, we'll get on Jules uh, we're going to get us on Jules yeah yeah, yeah your, dad, know, your, dad knows, yeah, your dad knows Jules your dad knows Jules we'll get him on um, no I no I just 
God, I put you know, I put, I put some people together, and we, you know, we're proud of the album. Bit more hi hat, Tony. Bit more hi hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, his mix is a bit middly. Uh, we need a bit more bass and treble. Yeah, what does the executive producer on an album do? I gave him some money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I paid for it all to get printed. In it, um, all right. To, to get put out. Was it like Dragonstone in exchange for 10% equity in their company? Or I got all my money back. Like, you got it back? Did so, you? Yeah, I did. Really? I put in like... Because when I was 19, I did a job um, with Glenn Close and Patrick Stewart, a remake of the film Line in Winter. Mm. And I, I got paid a nice amount of money for a 19-year-old. So I was living at home and I had, this money, had all this money and my friends were in a band and I paid for them to get there. But an old in your pocket. Yeah, what should yeah. I do? Yeah. I'll executive producer. <laughs> 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 uh, no, I, I just paid for, the, for them to get like loads of CDs printed up and then they did sell and return and I got my money back. Sweet. Which which so, leads me to the end. So who's laughing now? Who's laughing now, yeah. Precisely. I'm going to download that. I don't think it's possible to download. It, it doesn't exist it doesn't on the it exists on the internet no. I'll find it, it goes I'll to his find garage it. <laughs> eight, eight boxes of CDs yeah. if anyone out there has got Arcane's first album civility please by all means send it into us it's, it's bloody good <laughs> well, well we'll find it's it out worse, yeah, it's it's good. Good. which leads me to the second bit of trivia oh. which I now know is probably true uh, you performed under the pseudonym Rap Scalio on Arcane's <laughs> second album <laughs> <laughs> Oh that second wasn't. album that, this is important hand styles with a said at the end yeah. hand styles oh yeah Z. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah look <laughs> he gives a bit of rap stallion. no I, I can't remember any of my lyrics yeah they come and go they're ephemeral um, I um, yeah did a bit of rapping yeah, sure. Actually, actually, I'll tell you what, it wasn't Rap Scalio, it was Rap Scallion. Uh, ah! Oh, you idiot. IMDB, you liar! It's a play, play on words, isn't it? Yeah. Rap, rap dash <laughs> Scallion. Because you like Scallion. Yeah, exactly. Also, the name for a spring onion in America. It is, yeah. Love it. There you go. There you go. And Dan, we'll um, well, gonna let you guys go, but I wanted to ask you about, because I read your experiences, you started off on The Word mm-hmm. and The Big Breakfast. Yeah. Now, was that Chris Evans' Big Breakfast? Was that, you know, uh, uh, no, I spent a lot of time on the Sharon Davis Rick Adams Big Breakfast, the uh, the Glory Years. <laughs> the Glory Years. <laughs> Sharon, Sharon Davis, Davis and Rick, Rick Adams. Adams yes. Who are they? Exactly right. There was an amazing <laughs> moment. Um, well, we used to say that you know, Sharon Davis, the swimmer. Yeah. Oh Remember? God. Yeah. 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 Who uh, we said was employed because she was the person who could swim away fastest from a sinking ship. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick Adams, who. Um, d- uh, we had a competition and uh, uh, you know a phone in and the time was running out um, uh, so and he wanted to give away the prize at the end of a show and he just did this thing it was honestly the most excruciating thing I've ever seen where he was just like okay time's running out um, oh, okay uh, uh, to win the prize what's my name and the girl was just like um <laughs> no. um um, and he went rear and she went um oh, sorry <laughs> just like oh it was just like everyone just like oh, is, no. it yeah, is it Rapscallion yeah. oh is, no that's terrible Rick yes. Adams is he still Rick presenting Adams. is that Rick um, Adams that is Rick Adams yeah exactly right um, I don't remember that era from no it's a bad era and the last time <laughs> I saw him era. the last time I saw him uh, something embarrassing he was doing the red carpet introductions to Bruno in Los Angeles <sighs> that's not bad well, it's true. Yeah, it's yeah, no it's rapscallion. It's no it's rapscallion. <laughs> <laughs> so, will there ever be a third album from Arcane, and will you be involved with it? I'm seeing if the boys are up for it, and um, you know, I want to get everyone back together because things were said, and I and I think we can we can get over that. 
because it's the music that matters. So we'll see. Hopefully, we live in hope, don't we? Well, we all live in. That's the thing. Yeah, you'll be doing it for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Ultimately. It's not for us. Music's not for us. Not for the band. It's for everyone else. Guys, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. I cannot wait to hear those two albums. Please do send them in. <laughs> it's grand. And Rick Adams, if you're out there, please also write in. We want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ray, Dan, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. All Great. the best. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, time for this week's movie news. Nick, what have you brought us? I have Sin City 2 news. And um, yeah, it's pretty big news. It's uh, probably the main character, I'd say, although some of this is new material, but the one that everyone has been waiting for this announcement, which is the dame, the titular dame in The Dame to Kill For, who is kind of the ultimate... Um, femme fatale mm. of noir thing I think that's what Frank Miller is trying to do so it's so many names have been uh, connected with this part mostly Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie I think at ages. one point she even said that she was kind of up for it yeah. and then she became pregnant and since it's two obviously has been rumbling on for a very long time but anyway to, to um, build up the suspense uh, it is Eva Green who's been cast okay so that's, that's a good of, shout isn't it I, I mean that's a very good shout we've talked about Dark Shadows a moment ago and she is one of the better things in Dark Shadows she is she? Yeah. I mean, absolutely she, her femme is very fatal she's very slinky yep and um, yeah I, I think it's uh, I think that's great good casting in my opinion uh, so we don't know when that's going to be when that stuff's going to be shot some of the actors have already shot their stuff I think they're doing this very piecemeal and they're just getting actors in when they're available and I think they're just going to composite them together if need be but uh, yeah I'm excited about that I think that's really good casting well given that the entire environment virtually is CG and that there's a massive amount of manipulation going on with the images anyway if there's ever been a film that you can shoot bit by bit yeah, it's, it's in City it's really because I, I got to go to Troublemaker a couple of years ago and there is literally one room where they made Sin City they go this is the room where we made Sin City it's just, it's just like a garage and it's incredible there's nothing there they don't really have they have a few props yeah. there's no sets and it's kind of unbelievable you, they just go in there and it's the most basic thing you can ever imagine they just go here put this hat on and, and go and in there and you're in a car brilliant or do you're you feel a, it's been a, a bit long since the first since it is there a sense of it it's a bit it's been what missed, eight years at this point hasn't it's it? kind of window or do we are we still excited I think so I'm excited I'm excited I, but I, I love Sin City it's my favourite Rodriguez film by quite a long way um, and yeah I, the one thing that, that scares me a little bit is the spirit, which I thought was genuinely one of the worst films I've ever seen, right. um, which was the Frank Miller directed yeah. um, film that came out maybe five years ago or something like that. So he's coming up with a lot of new material for this. I'm just hoping it's more original Sin City than the spirit. Right. But I, no, I'm, I'm excited. It's got a really starry cast, cool cast. Who else is coming back? So uh, Bruce Willis is coming back. I don't know if Mickey Rourke's coming back. There's a lot of talk of whether he's coming back or not, so I should have checked that. Um, <laughs> I think the last time I saw he was back on the cast list. He, he hesitated right. for quite some time, but then I, th I believe committed. Right. So Ray Liotta's in it. Uh, Jeremy Piven is in it. And uh, Clive Owen, there's talk that he's going to... He's coming back as Dwight, apparently, for one scene, but that might not be true, but there is a different actor playing him. There is Josh Brolin. Yes. Yes, Josh Brolin. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big cast. It's interesting. I, I, I hope Mickey Rourke does come back because I think Marv is kind of the, the centre of it all. Really. Mm -hmm. yeah. He was very much the heart and soul of the first one. So yeah, so that's all shaping up. All right, and we finally have a dame. Uh, Phil, how about you? I bring news of Duncan Jones and he has signed up to make a film of World of Warcraft. Ooh, which I know place. so little about <laughs> that I've had to go to Dan Jolin, our resident, co-resident, yes. Warcrafter, 
whatever the term is sure with James Dyer um, my ignorance is going to get me into an awful lot of trouble after this podcast so but anyway Dan plays is a passionate World of Warcraft man and there are obviously millions out there yeah this I understand <clears throat> is a multiplayer online game massively multiplayer is it massively multiplayer massively multiplayer I believe multiplayer. I don't know okay online role playing game yes in which lots of people collect goblins gold and gold okay and trade them and then talk to other people on the internet right this is amazing <laughs> no no wait, wait, wait. this I'm is like the Wikipedia entry Phil is also attached to this project as a screenwriter <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 I'm also a cinematographer um, it's an RPG which I thought was the things that they fired at Russian tanks in Red Dawn but turns out to mean role playing it's a role playing game so anyway I'm, I'm just I'm just showing colossal in next episode <laughs> Phil explains mobile phones shut up I don't understand this <laughs> anyway leave edit that bit out um, so Duncan Jones obviously Obviously, we, we know and love from Moon. Source code saw him stepping yep. up in budget. This is going to be even bigger in terms of uh, in terms of the the kind of resources at his disposal. Um, $100 million, they're talking. It's starting quite soon, early next year, mm. for a 2015 release. Um, I don't mean to make light of it. It's something that I think people are very, very excited about. Here's what Dan thinks. Um, I, am, I am excited and intrigued by the choice of, of Duncan Jones as a director for the World of Warcraft movie. I think it's a challenging film to make. I mean, uh, video game movies don't have the good... Okay, that was probably bad <laughs> enough for that. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, it's something that Duncan Jones is passionate about. And, and the question is, I mean, there are, you know, a multitude of characters out there. So who's the protagonist? What's the story? Those are things yeah. that, that they're going to need to think. I think that's a good thing, though, that out. they don't have that all written in stone. Because I think what's, what's failed with a lot of video game movies so far is that they've tried to f- stick very faithfully to something that actually doesn't work on the big screen. Right. There hasn't been enough adaptation from, the, from what works in a game to what works on the screen if you think about got any of them the Silent Hills the Resident Evils whatever so maybe maybe given that they have so much to choose from here they can just choose the elements that might actually work yeah. on screen yeah maybe well there, as you say there's, it's, a, it's a very rich universe world sorry sure. um, <laughs> and the presence of Chuck Roven the Dark Knight producer is certainly encouraging um, mm-hmm. there's a script underway um, by Charles Leavitt as well and yeah, it's kind of like the ultimate thing isn't it Warcraft it chucks in trolls and elves and zombies everything you can fighting imagine fighting pandas is fighting the most pandas. recent thing yeah, yeah. so getting... there's definitely scope for something extremely epic and I think Jones is the right guy because he's um, he is like Hollywood's biggest gamer I think yeah. he stays up all night playing Starcraft and yeah, he's also super smart, isn't he? You, yeah. he'll bring some intelligence and some yeah. some wit to it. And so I'm more excited about it now than I was when Sam Raimi was attached, actually. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting choice. I think he also brings a bit of kind of cool to it, maybe, mm. which I I'm, I'm sure Dan and James would tell me that it already has. But you know, you don't want to you don't want it to feel too nerdy. So if there are goblins in Warcraft, okay, what are the chances that David Bowie will come back oh. as the Goblin King? Now you, now you see, now you've got our attention. Now I'm excited. Okay, roll on Warcraft. Ian, what have you got? Well, I've got um, news of the Muppets again. Is that how you say this? How, is that the correct way to pronounce it? Again, yeah. Again. I, okay. I've actually been saying the Muppets dot 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 again, exclamation mark. Okay, but, well, you know. we kind of know that Tina Fey, Ty Burrell from Modern Family and Ricky Gervais have been attached for a while. And we now have uh, news of a plot. 
uh, and basically the Muppets go on a world tour uh, traveling around theaters and it's kind of and they get embroiled in a kind of international heist Ooh. and I guess the kind of the world the world tour thing is kind of like the international box office market is so huge these days so if you spend a bit in, bit of time in France a bit of time in England and you can hit a lot of bases I think but that sounds fun that sounds like one of the older Muppet films doesn't it the kind yeah, of thing. it's strange in the press release they're comparing it to 60 they're saying it's like a 60s caper and they haven't mentioned the great Muppet caper <laughs> which is set in London and involves a heist it's a bit of an odd sort of thing I, I sorry to cut you off Ian but yeah. I, I, when I was on set of the first film there was a lot of talk of the great Muppet caper James Bobin the director and Nick Stoller the writer both cited that as their favourite Muppets thing so that gave a kind of idea that that was what they were doing so it's interesting yeah so I think we have, we have a, there's a character Constantine who's the world's biggest criminal and there also is a dead spit for Kermit evil Kermit how could that fail yeah and so Tina Fey is a prison guard uh, uh, Ty Burrell works for Interpol <laughs> which is very exciting and also good news is that Brett McKenzie is back doing doing songs I think really one news. of the strong things about the, f- yeah. of the first one was those songs you know man or a Muppet you're a Muppet of a man it's just a, it's a great a great tune yeah um, sounds a bit Madagascar yeah. 3 plot wise I think a good thing yeah but they're, 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 you know as you say it could be a 60s there's a, there's a tradition of 60s films that travel around Europe having capers I must so. say this, this sounds almost identical to the plot of Fast 6 which in which they come to London there's a heist yeah, and the true. baddies are evil doppelgangers evil of versions the, uh, of them yeah so you know <laughs> you see the Fast and Furious franchise continues to inspire the whole of Hollywood and the Fast Six universe makes less sense than the Muppets universe. So. <laughs> um, my only last point about Muppets: uh, if you uh, have a look at our story on Empire Online, there is a fantastic picture of Ricky Gervais with with a Muppet. It's demented. It's a great image. That so I'd have, I'd have a look at that. Is there another picture of them at a tube station? Yeah. Yeah, with Ricky, the phone box. I think Ricky Gervais divides people a bit, doesn't he? So he actually had a cameo in the first Muppets movie, but he got cut at the last minute. Yeah, and, so. it's, and it's good actually. It's on the deleted scenes. I, I reviewed the the Blu-ray, and it's um, it's a really funny scene. So it's a shame that I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I should good. watch that. So no, I, I I I'm a fan of Gervais, so mm. I'm excited. I, I'd say I'd see pretty much anything with Tina Fey and Ty Burrell in it. The fact that the Muppets are also in it means I'm, I'm pretty much there on opening day. <sighs> It sounds good. Hey, going back to Fast 6, why did you say they come to London in Fast 6? Um, well, that would be a spoiler for my upcoming feature, but, but ultimately <laughs> it's about the cold emotional landscape of the characters. Okay. Yeah. So this is going to be a similar story with the Muppets, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's going to be a very profound reason. Definitely. Definitely. Angst in Oxford Circus. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, next, I think it's uh, time for an interview. And we have an interesting snippet here from our full interview with Robert Zemeckis and Denzel Washington. Now, we have already published the full podcast special with the two of them uh, separately. So if you've already listened to that, feel free to skip about 15 minutes ahead. But if long interviews aren't your bag and you've skipped that, uh, that the whole thing, here's just a short segment with the pair discussing their Oscar-nominated look at the collision of disaster and alcohol in midair. Uh, we're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by the star of Flight, Mr. Denzel Washington, the Oscar-nominated star of Flight, of course, and the director of Flight, Mr. Robert Zemeckis. Welcome, gentlemen. So um, I want to start right back at the beginning with Flight for you guys. When and how did the script come to you, Bob? I presume it came to you through uh, Steve Starkey and Jack Rapke, who'd worked with John Gaitens on Real Steel. Yeah, it did come through. It it, it came it came uh, to me through those guys, um, but um, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it got to them. I don't know if it was John or mm-hmm. his agent. I don't. I don't know what you know. And that's how it came, yeah. And sure. when you read it, did you know what you were going to be reading? Did you know you were looking for something 
Well, you know, my partners, they're, you know, they're very, uh, they're very, uh, you know, they're very tentative when they uh, endorse something, when they say, you know, but I always can hear it in their voice when I know that they think it's really good. They said, you, okay. this is something you, you really got to read. Okay. And uh, they were right. It was really good. Uh, and Denzel, this was brought to you by your late agent, Ed Lamato. Yes, Ed Lamato. He sent me uh, the last two scripts he sent me at the same time were Safe House and Flight. And uh, I read them both, and they were, you know, very different. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we, we decided, I don't know if we decided to do Safe House first. It was probably already set up to do first. But uh, when I read Flight, as soon as I finished, you know, closed the, cl closed the last page, I called my agent. I said, I'm, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But was there a moment during that? Was there, a, for example, page sixty-eight or page sixty-nine? Or no, nah, you gotta, you gotta get, you know, you gotta see what happens. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> see what happens. No. I mean, I knew it was, I knew it was great writing. Yeah, you know, and, and a very unique story. But, but you never know. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden it could have turned into a chase, chase movie or something. <laughs> well, you know what happens to me is I start, I, 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 I yeah, I don't know what, I. I don't know what word to use. I mean, not literally praying, but I start, you know, hoping that, you know, uh, if it's really good when you get to about page 60 and 70, you start hoping, uh, oh, man, keep this thing going. Don't let this thing fall off the rails. Yeah. Let's hope that, you know, you know how to finish this script. And you start, you know, getting nervous for the for it to be, you know, a solid piece. Mm. And the interesting thing as well is that you, you uh, Bob, have done one of the great plane crash sequences already in Castaway. And there's a plane crash sequence which is astonishing about 10 minutes into this movie. Um, reading that script for the first time, did that almost put you off? Well, I've done this before, and have I just, you know, or is there a different, did you think I can come at this from a different way? Yeah, you know, it's, it, of course. And, and, and the same, and the same two partners who gave me the script are the same two partners who, you know, were, were, you know, you know, really suggesting, you know, do you really want to do another plane crash? And of course, you know, you know, look, the only downside to it is is that I'm going to be on shows like this and everyone's going to say, "Hey, what about the <laughs> fact that you what about the fact that you did two plane crashes? The people who are at the at the, at the theater watching the movie yeah. aren't thinking about the plane crash and Castaway." Mm -hmm. Um and you know, when I you know, my answer to those guys was, you know, well, you know, it's it, it is going to be a thing. You know that you know I'm going to be known as the plane crash guy, um, <laughs> but the, the the script is too good, and he has to be a pilot. Yeah, the script is too good. That would be now. That would be the reason. That would be a silly reason not to make the movie. Interesting enough, we uh, we at Empire we asked four major airlines whether they would show flight as a oh, flight did? movie. We did. Yeah, we asked BA, Air New Zealand, uh, American well, Airlines. I'm sure they said no. And for, uh, Virgin Atlantic will show the film uncut. As the director right. intended, that was her actual words, as the director intended. So presumably now you're going to be both flying virgin for the rest of your yeah, The <laughs> artist airline. <laughs> but don't, now the airlines now, don't don't they give you a variety? You can pick a movie to watch? Or most not? of them do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of them do. But uh, Bob, you've, you've been making, uh, the last three films you made were obviously in the performance capture arena, with black box cinema, as mm -hmm. you call it. Um, and... Uh, they were obviously Polar Express, Christmas Carol, and Beowulf. And it, it was interesting watching this film because I thought it started with a real statement of intent. And I don't know whether this was deliberate from you, but it starts off with a scene that has cocaine use, uh, other drug use, uh, alcohol abuse, and nudity. Was it almost a, a sense that this was a clean break for you as a director? No, but I can understand why you're why you would you would think that mm. because you know the the digital movies were you know. Um, you know, uh, two of them were you know family films. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
No, I mean, that's that was the way the screenplay started. And, you know, that's what the intent of the writer was. And that was, you know, my intent as the filmmaker had nothing to do with making a statement about my career. But I was making a statement about what the tone of the movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, and all the sort of all the important things that the audience has to, you know, understand and feel in the... Uh, you know, I'm a believer that the v- very opening images of any film are extremely uh, crucial. Mm. And Denzel, that must have been a, a great grabber for you, reading the script for the first time. So you get this guy, he wakes up in bed, uh, has a drink, has a, has a you know, takes a toke in a joint. <laughs> Len has a, a cocaine chaser. Mm. And then you reveal he's a pilot. <laughs> that must have been... <laughs> right. that must, was that a moment that just grabbed you? This is quite interesting. I, I, I don't remember. You know, yeah. I, I can't say, wow, I'm sure I did. But, you know, it probably made me say, where are we going with this? <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned, you mentioned that, asked Denzel that question, because it's, it's unfortunate. Obviously, we live in a, in a, in a world where... You know, there's media everywhere, mm. but uh, it was really exciting, uh, and it's, it was a one-time only. When we, when I previewed the movie the very first time in Los Angeles, where there was where the film was basically in a media vacuum at that point, and the, the audience went in and didn't know anything about the movie. Mm-hmm. When Denzel walks out of that room with his um, pilot mm-hmm. uniform on. The audience like screamed because, in, a, like, in a good way, or in a good but an astonishing way. Like this guy's the pilot. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, they had no idea what was coming, and it was, and, and it, it, you know, they were like everyone just sort of lifted off their off their seats. But again, then, but then that reaction can only happen if you don't know if you don't if there's no advertising so that'll you know so that could never be uh a, you know everyone's gonna know yes that when he wakes up and starts snorting the line he mm. oh he's the pilot because they've seen it in all, they you know they've seen it in the advertising so they're you know, that's why they're coming to the movie and of course the poster where you're resplendent right. in your uniform right. So. Right. have you guys been circling each other for years in a way have there ever been opportunities for you to work together in the past or have you been actively looking to work with each other before this movie came along uh, no, I, not that I know of. No, no, I, nothing, I mean, no, nothing I came ever, across my desk that that Bob was, you know, connected to. Yeah, right? there wasn't any situation where we had, you know, we're gonna. Uh, we well, never met. I don't we, think. Well, I think we met, you know, like just casually uh-huh. passing each other, but uh, we we've never really, uh, you know, spent time together. But, okay, yeah. um, but you came on the film after Bob was a was attached. No, actually, uh, uh, the the script came to me first. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So well, you, I don't know if it came to me first. But, uh, <laughs> no, when I when when I read the the script the first time, you know, I I knew that everybody told me that Denzel was very interested in this. Right. Okay, right. but have you watched each other's careers from afar? And well, I've been watching Denzel's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I miss Castaway. <laughs> what was that? Forrest what? Uh, it's a good, uh, Forrest, Forrest, Forrest Gump, I believe. Yeah, you right. should check it out. Yeah. On the, it's on DVD, I believe. Uh, and and if so, do you have a favorite of each other's movies? Ooh. I'd have to, I'd have to say, you know, because I've never seen the, 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 is it motion capture? What do you call it? Performance capture. Performance capture. I've n- actually never seen any one of those three films. Okay. But well, I saw parts of Polar Express, but, mm-hmm. uh, but Forrest Gump for me. Well, but then I didn't realize 
you know, until we started working, you know, until I checked your resume, I was like, oh, he made that too? <laughs> you know, I didn't know, I didn't know you, I didn't know the whole, like, uh, Back to the Future segment, section, right. you know, Roger Rabbit, of course, but yeah. Forrest Gump for me. Okay. And uh, Bob? Oh, well, <clears throat> for me, uh, uh, hands down, Training Day. Training Day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, well, because that was, I remember I remember when I saw that movie, and it, I mean, that was like a great movie, and it was a great, I mean, that was like a awesome performance. I mean, it was really good. I mean, it was like, I remember the year that that movie came out, and it was like, you know, my, it was, I was awestruck by that. It was such a great movie. Absolutely. Uh, that was the last film you were, you were Oscar nominated for before flight training day uh, yeah training day yeah. and of course you won um this time around did you wake up for the nominations or did you just let it what happen will happen mm, yeah no, I, I didn't wake up <laughs> <laughs> i was i slept right through it in fact <laughs> yeah i did i didn't i didn't wake up uh, so did you wake up to a uh, hundred texts or emails uh, uh mm, no, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't text either. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so, but yeah, I had, I had, you know, some emails and agents calling and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Is there still excitement there after six nominations, or is that something well, that fades away? To be honest, it's di it's different. You know, it's not, it's not like the first go round. You know, it's not like your first date. But uh, <laughs> you know, I just uh, it, I sort of just keep it even keel. I, I, you don't get too high. I don't get too low. I've been, I've been there before. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably get the jitters when they get to the actual announcements. When you read the script the first time, as an actor who's been nominated for Oscars before and won Oscars, do you assess no. scripts like this differently no. in a way? You don't. No. You, you, uh, do you think, oh, this could be an Oscar? This could be it. Yes, no, nah, you it. can't. You, 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 I fight that, you know, because you'll ruin it. You can't, you can't go into it thinking that far you know you got to get you got to get the job done first mm. you know just get the job done and 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 you know you, you i always want to do the best i can doesn't matter what the it's not like oh this is an oscar film but safe house isn't so i'll give the b performance or whatever yeah. I'm, I'm always trying to do my best because i uh, looking at training day again i that's a, an example of a of a role that you might not necessarily associate with a, an oscar movie yeah, necessarily. So I guess it depends well, on. you know, training day. You know, training day was easy. It's just people hadn't seen me like that. Yeah, I'm closer to that than I am to to Cry Freedom or Malcolm X. I mean, I grew up in the streets, so mm -hmm. that wasn't a stretch for me at all, mm -hmm. at all. I mean, that that was just that was just you know. And the director had such an interesting take on it, uh, Antoine Fuqua was the one who turned it into a whole kind of a gangster thing. Mm. It was actually written more like a, almost a lethal weapon. It, it originally written, it was like beer cans in the back and he wore a plaid shirt and it was really like that. And to Antoine's credit, he said, no, we want to turn this, you know, he's a gangster just like these guys, Crips and Bloods are gangsters. He brought the whole Crips and Bloods aspect to it. It was really Fuqua that turned it into a, a LA gangster mm. movie. Okay. And uh, let's actually talk a little bit about the, the plane crash sequence, because it is, I think, fantastic. And um, I just want to... Denzel, you were actually strapped in the simulator. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? Uh, this, this, well, the simulator, we didn't turn upside down, but on, on, on the day when we were working on, on the stage, we had... What is it? The, 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 oh, the rotisserie. The rotisserie. Yes. The rotisserie, so we, right. we actually <laughs> right. turned, the, turned the plane upside down, but right. the, the simulator was great fun. I mean, I... 
I love getting in there and, and I mean talk about boys with their toys this is the <laughs> ultimate you know video game and uh, I mean like I, I didn't realize that when you when the plane heads down the runway the plane's going down the runway and I'm trying to, to steer in the pilot says that's actually you're not affecting the the plane with it's it's actually pedals oh really okay. yeah you 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 stay you, you stay true to the line with your foot pedals uh-huh. so of course the first go around I'm like out in the field and I crashed <laughs> into the buildings and <laughs> I was I was all over the place then you start figuring it out but those simulators really it almost I mean, it, it's almost like you feel the G-forces. Yeah. You, 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 I've never gone that fast before. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, you're, what, about 180 miles an hour or so going yeah. on takeoff. And, uh, and it really, really gives you the feeling. And then getting up there and trying to keep the balance on the horizon and relying on your instruments. And I mean, obviously, I didn't learn everything there is to learn. Mm-hmm. But, but you do get a sense of trying to keep the plane balanced. And, and it's almost like you can feel the weight of it. Mm-hmm. Do you think you might want to go out and get a pilot's license, Harrison Ford style? Yeah, you, you know, I, 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 I'm the kind of person, that, as far as films, I forget about a movie. As soon as I'm done with, this, with the press, I'm, I'm done with flight. You know, I did it, belongs to the people. I'm not interested in, it, it didn't inspire me, to answer your question, it didn't inspire me to want to, to, fly, to, to be a pilot. But I probably wouldn't want to do that because I did the film. You know, I don't want to think about that anymore I, you know I'm, to me the, the the most fun the exciting part is making the movie the process of making a movie once it's done and belongs to the people I'm done with it because a lot of actors can't do that they can't watch themselves is, it, is there a reason why you, you, you well like I said it, when, I, when I started directing I had to get over that yeah you know I, I don't see where there's an advantage to it I remember years ago I worked with Kevin Klein on uh, uh, Cry Freedom and he'd go to dailies every night and he'd come in the next day agonizing, you know, I got, you know, and then he started tweaking mm-hmm. his performance based on what, you know, so you can't start chasing yourself like that. You know, you got to you got to trust the director, you know, and, 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 and know, hey, you know, like I would ask Bob, I'm like, we good, Bob? And he's like, I'm good. <laughs> That's what he would say. I'm good. I'm like, OK, then you're good. I'm good. Denzel, have you ever got really starstruck around? Sports, sports figures for me, sports figures, you know, when I met Michael Jordan. I mean, you know, the famous shot he made, uh, I don't know if you know, I, I was at that game mm-hmm. and in Chicago, and then I actually went out to dinner with him afterwards, and uh, and my, my son says, Dad, you just, you put, you get the stupidest smile on your face. I'm always like, <laughs> oh, and, and when the first time I met uh, Nelson Mandela, who was like, unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable, my, and my kids had no idea. They said, what's the old man with the big house? <laughs> <laughs> That's who they thought he was because we went to the president, the president's, you know, residence, and I said, "You know who that is?" He said, "Well, that's that old man with the big house." <laughs> Fantastic. Well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, thanks so much for coming in, uh, Robert Zemeckis and Denzel Washington. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, it's movie reviews time at last. Now, the biggest release of the week is the aforementioned flight, which sees Denzel Washington act heroically to save a plane in desperate straits, only to find himself become the focus of scrutiny. Washington and John Gayton's screenplay are both Oscar-nominated, but what did we think of the film as a whole? Oh, we liked it. Denzel is a major reason why um, he's terrific in this film. I think it's his best performance since Training Day, which he obviously won an Oscar for. He's pretty much reliable in everything, but in this film, he kind of lets it all hang out, playing this guy, Whip Whitaker, who's a troubled domestic airline pilot 
flying short haul across the US. The film starts with him in bed in a hotel room with a girl, with a woman who we later find out is one of his air stewardesses. That's a no-no. The massive line of coke he wakes up to, <laughs> that's probably also a no-no as well. He starts probably. drinking. Then he puts on his airline pilot's outfit and without giving too much away, he leaves his hotel room. He's heading straight to fly a plane. And you've probably seen from the trailer, the poster, um, he's going to fly it upside down because things go wrong on the plane. And it starts with this incredibly punchy, visceral, scary plane crash yeah. the one in Castaway that, he, that Zemeckis did is fantastic this one I think is even better even better this, yeah. Yeah, because better, yeah. you're right there in the cockpit and, and, and it's in a storm you can't see anything the lack of visibility I think translates into a real sense of unease from the beginning you know where it's going but getting there is actually properly scary and it, it's, it's it's a bit like um, if you've ever read the right stuff uh, do you remember they talk in the right stuff in the book especially about the uh, the sort of midwestern cam of was it Chuck Yeager mm. when he he was a pilot uh, he'd just be checking trying things out so the, the plane would be plummeting at thousands of feet per second and he's just going right I'm just checking the flaps yeah. now yeah that hasn't worked okay now I'm just trying to restart <laughs> the engine yeah that's not working okay now I'm doing this and just in this kind of very calm voice and that's essentially what uh, what Washington does yeah, during the scene it's does. an amazing amazing he does. scene I mean he's drunk and he's on cocaine but he pulls off this stunt <laughs> that they later discover you know, 10 other pilots couldn't do. And I think Chuck Yeager is actually a pretty good comparison because mm. he flies on instinct and the film asks some pretty serious questions about drugs and about alcohol and about performance and yeah. impairing your, your, your capacity to do things. From there on, it becomes a more sort of straightforward tale depiction of alcoholism. Yeah, it's kind of... Um, there is that element of... I think it's Don Cheadle's trying to... Uh, investigate him and get, get help get him off and stuff get exactly. him off his, his charges but the, the main bulk of it is sort of kind of relationship with uh, Kelly Riley who he, makes in a, he meets in a really good scene in a hospital mm. stairwell yeah I, I would say it doesn't quite live up to that first the rest of the movie doesn't quite live up to the first 20 minutes in that it does become a quite a conventional living with alcoholism yeah. movie of the week kind of scenario still fairly it's, it's still yeah, gripping it is it's still really well acted there's a fantastic scene with a minibar which could be the, my yes. favourite scene with yeah. a minibar it's just got to the I top see, of the chart to say what John Goodman does if you don't no, know no, no. no well John, John Goodman uh, is his dealer and um, it's very interesting that, that there's a scene where he's completely drunk and to get him sober they yeah. call his dealer in and it's kind of a, almost a comedy scene mm. yeah these two great scenes I hated that scene I have to say well, okay well, <laughs> my problem with those scenes is that every time he turns up both times he turns up they play Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones which was a little bit too <laughs> yeah and there's a few on the notes well I wanted to of, yeah, yeah I wanted to talk about the soundtrack there's yeah so Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers when, when the character is shooting up heroin and there's a scene where um, Denzel and Kelly Riley's characters are kind of getting together and it's a seductive scene and he puts on a mixtape that's got Marvin Gaye <laughs> what's going on you <laughs> just think on come on yeah. yeah yeah it's uh he has a soul mixtape in it that's, that's presumably just, just very on the nose tunes yeah. I was yeah. waiting for the um, drunk pilot flies upside down track yeah, so, uh, yeah an end credits roll at the end over the end credits <laughs> <laughs> but you know that, that was one thing but you're kind of pick, splitting hairs a little bit because yeah. it's, it's very well put together and it's, re it's really good to see Robert Zemeckis directing proper human beings in, in adult stories it's his most adult film I think mm. um, I, I don't think it is picking hairs though to say that the scene with, with John Goodman at the end is a little jarring in the context of the film because I'm not entirely sure what it's saying about you know drugs and, and alcohol All right. at that point I, I don't know I mean just for me I was a little confused by 
how glibly that that played in a film that's serious that's, I think it's, you know, serious about those yeah. things I think it's kind of trying to show to an extent some kind of degree of ambiguity and the fact that you know it's not just it's not it's trying to say not just you know drugs and alcohol are evil but they, also they can be good well maybe not good but you know they can in the short term they may seem like the best idea Maybe maybe that's the way they're putting it. And Denzel is is the, the actors are getting rightfully so a lot of um, kind of praise in the yeah. reviews. I don't think Robert Zemeckis is getting enough credit for his work on the film because I think that there's it's like Contact. It's one of those films where you can watch it and not spot a lot of what, the stuff that's yeah. going on. There's a lot of directorial sleight of hand. Yeah, and he Absolutely. talks about it on the podcast. There's there's a shot involving a hand grabbing a miniature bottle of of alcohol, and there's all kinds of technical trickery. There's an amazing morph towards the end. Really clever camera work, and it's really fun to see him come back to live action and start playing around with, with the technical stuff and he, it's really well done hmm. alright well we gave Flight four stars uh, yeah. and Denzel's up I think deservedly for best actor at the Oscars mm. where he's let's face it probably going to lose to Daniel Day-Lewis but he still deserves to be there and his character name is Whip Whitaker and his character name is that's Whip Whitaker that's worth an Oscar <laughs> <in> yourself <laughs> So, uh, so yes, flight. That is a big recommendation for from us. Now, also out this week is the world's beloved Bill Murray, starring as the generally beloved Franklin Delano Roosevelt, alongside the generally loved Samuel West uh, as George the Sixth, who we li- like after the King's Speech. But how do they all fare in Hyde Park on Hudson, Nick? It's an odd film. It begins with <laughs> Bill Murray getting a hand job. There's no other way of putting it, and it ends with someone eating a hot dog. That's the climax of the film. And in between, you've got this this strange uh, kind of culture clash comedy. It's effectively a bit of a sequel to The King's Speech, even mm-hmm. though they, this was in production before The King's Speech, apparently, and they've actually tweaked the script so it didn't tell the same information over sure. again. But it's set shortly after The King's Speech, so he doesn't have much for stutter. That's <laughs> all fixed. And it's um, it's... George VI and Elizabeth coming over to America to visit Franklin Roosevelt and it's okay it's fine it's got some funny stuff but it it's a very slight film yeah it's, and the, the other strand is it's, a, it's an affair between Roosevelt and Laura Linney's character absolutely there's a cousin. character called Daisy who yeah. is uh, it's not a spoiler to say the person he gives the hand job at the beginning of the film and she's in love with him and he's got various women and the movie is kind of told through her eyes you kind of meet Roosevelt through her perspective but mm. then it loses interest in her and it starts getting all about the royals and all that stuff yeah. and she's pretty much forgotten about and it's just not it's not a great film I'll can't be quite focus on what it wants to be and what, which story yeah. it wants to tell because like a lot of these characters are really fascinating figures in history you know Roosevelt but also like Eleanor Roosevelt is, is a fascinating person you know um, and, and that all gets sidelined in favour of this really dull country cousin you Absolutely, know, that, that character ultimately just doesn't work. She's not yeah. interesting. I mean, she, she she left diaries, which seems to be the reason that they've sort of focused on her. But it hasn't quite worked, and I think they've obviously realised that and switched away from her halfway through. Yeah, it's pretty unfocused. Uh, Murray is is fun. I think there was there was talk uh, when this film was pre-release that this was potentially an Oscar-nominated role for mm. this was going to be a big showcase for Murray, but it didn't work out like that. He's he's fine. He's brings some mischief and and stuff to to Roosevelt. But again, it's it's just not a very well kind of put together thing. Mm. 
that's a shame sad but true well we gave Hyde Park on Hudson two stars I'm afraid also out this week is Sylvester Stallone in Bullet to the Head which is the new film from Walter Hill uh, Stallone plays the marvellously named Jimmy Bobo because it's a good good week for character names and he's an assassin who ta- teams up with a cop to track down the man who killed both their partners so what did you think of this one Ian? well we were kind of really excited about this it's the return of Walter Hill who is probably the 70s one of the greatest action directors of the 70s, you think of uh, The Driver and Southern Comfort and then into the 80s with, uh, you know, 48 40 hours. hours and the, and so we're dead excited and it just, it doesn't work. It's a lot of the same kind of licks you've seen before. It feels very familiar. It tries a kind of Tarantino-y flashback structure that doesn't really kind of pay off and it just doesn't gel. It doesn't It doesn't spark in the way that you'd expect from Walter Hill and Stallone. So, you know. Is it, a, is it a buddy cop comedy? Is it 48 hours? I think it wants to be, yeah, but it just doesn't quite get there. Right, okay. And it's um, it's it's Sylvester Stallone with Sung Kang, who's from uh, The Fast and Furious. See, it relates to everything. It really it's, does. It's the of the I hate to keep going back to it, but, but ultimately... It's the Kevin Bacon of franchises. Yeah, and I only recently found out that his character name in, in The Fast franchise is Han Solo. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, yeah. It and doesn't it was, help bullet in the head. Doesn't it doesn't help it, but that, it, it never hurts to talk about Fast 6. <laughs> so so overall, we're, we were not... Yeah, yeah. We, 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 ended, we landed on two stars, so I think... Um, go back and watch The Driver or Some Comfort alright fair enough well there, there's a few more films like this week we should probably mention um, there is the Belgian Oscar nominee for best foreign film Bullhead which yeah, stars that's Matthias Schoenes from uh, from Rust and Bone, yeah. Bone and who is going to be the I'm sure Phil will agree the art house actor of the next few years yes I, I do agree he's fantastic I am okay with this. Yes, four stars for Empire. Four stars, go and see that. Uh, we also have uh, bra- a couple of uh, directorial scions here. Brandon Cronenberg, Body Horror. Who would have thought a Cronenberg would yes. be interested in Body Horror? And Anti-viral. we have to say, this is the film that we have been emailed the most about over the past few months, isn't it? It's <laughs> been, oh, screening invites. Screening invites to this film. Which Sessions, I, sure. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, I think. I haven't seen it, but I think Kim saw it for us and, and thought it had some interesting aspects yeah, to it. we've given it three stars. Yeah, like I it. think, it, yeah, he did. Um, we also have uh, a Jennifer Lynch with Chained, which uh, a friend only got two stars. That's a tale of a serial killer who grooms his replacement with Vincent D'Onofrio as the serial killer. Um, and finally, that's a step up though from Boxing Helena, isn't it? Which was one star. Exactly. So and from yeah. her last one with Bill Paxton, I can't remember the name of it. it was, Frequency. No, no, it's no, one no. word, For, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's dreadful, absolutely yeah. dreadful. But anyway, moving <laughs> uh, on. Moving all right, on. well, so you know, it's it's she's getting there. Uh, we also have uh, a documentary this week, The Punk Syndrome, which is uh, the story of uh, a Finnish hard rock band who all happen to be disabled, and that got three stars. It's kind of uh, another Anvil, the story of Anvil, um, except with a, a slight different twist uh, so that's it from us we will be back next week we've got the word on warm bodies and wreck it ralph and uh chilean film no um and we'll have more pod guests including the very lovely nicholas holt who came in to snack on a brain with myself and phil recently wasn't that nice mm. well the brain was the delicious brain. brain cake it wasn't actually a brain Oh, Phil. We weren't allowed to get a brain. He's trying to make us sound like cool and oh, dangerous. Yeah. It was a brain. <laughs> anyway, until then, when you'll be back in Chris's clutches, I mean, sorry, uh, capable hands, it's goodbye from Ian. See ya. Goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. Goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Thanks very much. <laughs>